Well, today we get to continue talking about this theme of hope, a hope found in Jesus, a hope that is declared and has our eyes opened to Him. I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you're using one of our pew Bibles today, it is on page 1023. Uh, Those pew Bibles are in the pews in front of you. And also, if you do not have a copy of God's Word in a in a way that you can read it and have access to it, please feel free to take this as our gift to you. Uh, it is our joy to have it in people's hands, but ultimately our whole goal is to have it in your heart. But today we're going to be looking again in our series of studies through the letters of First and Second Corinthians. We're going to be looking and, and discovering what the Apostle Paul, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these letters is saying to the church about what it means to have our eyes open, be alert, be awakened to who Jesus is, what He has done and what He says, and how the His work on the cross changes everything. It sets a new tone, a new pattern for all by following after Him. So, with that being said, would you stand with me in the honoring of the reading of God's Word And we're going to read from chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 20 through 22 uh, of chapter 1. And this is what it says. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has these words declared. For every one of God's promises is yes in Him. Therefore, through Him we also say amen To the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put His seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Let us pray. Lord God, today as we take time to hear from Your Word, to study Your Word, and remember that this too is an act of worship a a declaration of who You are and Your praise, and also a shaping of our lives to match that praise. God, help us to hear from You and speak to us all. Lord, use me in spite of me today to declare Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, that's a small snippet of Scripture. A small glimpse of text. And we may think, all right, that sounds weird where it starts. All of God's promises are yes in Him. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult sometimes whenever you just read a passage and you don't pull out everything that comes before or after, or at least a few paragraphs at times. And when we come together to study God's Word, we have a desire for people to have a greater understanding of God's Word. We want them to understand what it says and and what it means and, and how it applies both when it was written and how that carries on to now. And then ultimately we want to present that choice that is given to all of us based on what it says, what it means, and how it applies. What am I willing to do about it? Now, to have a little bit of knowledge about that, we need to look at the Scripture and, and see that this was written uh, by the hands of the Apostle Paul. Of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write these words, and God preserved them for us. 
but he's writing them while he's on his third missionary journey. Paul was a man transformed by the grace of God. He was very religious for his the majority of his life, I would say, uh, as far as what we have is the history of the Apostle Paul. But his life was radically shifted from being just a purely religious, zealous for tradition person to an encounter with Jesus Christ, the living Savior, that transformed everything thereafter. And it's that thereafter that leaves us this legacy. It's that thereafter that gives us 13 letters of the New Testament that we have by this, by this man who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to pin these words. It's by this man that gives us a glimpse of what missions look like to people beyond a familiar language, a familiar tradition, a familiar heritage. God used him radically and has left and preserved us His Word, God's Word, so that we may too be people that others can look at and say, wow, God has dramatically done a work in Him that indeed God's promises must be true. That this just didn't happen. It must come about from an outside source. It must come about by by someone else. And Paul would talk about how in Christ the very promises of God are fulfilled. The promises of God are assured. They can bring comfort. They can bring uh, solace. They can bring boldness and confidence to faithfully live because God does not negate or neglect His promises. And to show how good His promises are, how assured they are, He fulfills them through Christ. So Paul is saying this about Jesus. But why does he get there? We've been talking about how in Christ there was this confidence that Paul had. But in a few verses before, in this letter, it is a letter to a church, a church that he loves. He talks about how his plans have somehow upset the church at Corinth. And he feels horrible about that. But he wants them to be assured that just because his plans fell through, just because his promises didn't come to fruition, that it doesn't negate God's promises. For look what it says in verse 15. It says, because of this confidence, he was talking about what we have in Jesus, I plan to come to you first so that you could have a second benefit. A second benefit. See, Paul had already been to this church for 18 months in his second missionary journey, founding it. Now he's a thousand miles away across the sea, but over this year, AD 56, around that time, he's penned four letters. This is two, one of the, one of those four. Entering correspondence. And he wanted to actually travel to see them. So he said, I can't, I, I, so that you could have a second benefit and visit you on my way to Macedonia. He was going to make his way through the area. And then come to you again from Macedonia and be helped by you on my journey to Judea. Now when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I planned, do I, do I plan in purely human way? So that I say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? See, something had happened. He was not able to actually do it. He had planned it, but he was not able to accomplish it. And some were looking at the downfall of this broken promise of just a travel itinerary and saying, well, if that person who is supposedly a man of God 
can't fully keep His Word, how can I trust the God that man follows? How can I trust His promises? Paul says, I wasn't able to come, but we sent Silvanus and Timothy. And we were there. He was there with you so that you may know. But here's what you must be assured of when it comes to Christ. That when we have Him, we have much more than just some little Jesus. We have much more than just some little historical figure. We have the promises of God fulfilled in Him. And that is no small thing. So, let's look at those things that we have in Jesus. Those promises that are fulfilled. When we say that all, every one of God's promises is yes in Him. And through Him we also say amen to the glory of God. What does that mean about the Word, the promises that come through Jesus? Well, first of all, when someone gives you a promise, how do they usually do it? They usually speak it, right? They usually say something to you. I'm going to do this. Now sometimes they may give you a token of their promise. You know, that token of your promise may be, this is my word that I'm going to fulfill, but this is also my ink pen signing on the dotted line that you can come after me if I don't fulfill that promissory note. Sometimes that promise is given through a token that says, I promise to do this by giving you this ring as a symbol of the vow that I'm making before God. But it comes through making those words known. And what we have in Jesus is the promise that what came from God, what came through Jesus, is that Jesus is, first of all, God's sacred Word. That, that Jesus is, is God's sacred Word to us. Now, He's not some magical Word that if you just utter the name of Jesus, everything will go away. Um, I, I think that's a very small, small snippet of... of, of um, Little theology. Little view of God. But there is power in the name of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' name did not come just out of some happenstance. That was the name that God chose for His Son. Whenever He told Matthew to take, when He told Joseph in the book of Matthew to take, Mary as His bride for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and that it is sent to be the Messiah. He says, and you shall call His name Jesus. For His name means He who saves. Have you ever thought about what you have just trusting in Jesus? Have you ever thought about how sacred and holy that is? That you have God saying, I give you me. That we're not just talking about somebody that comes in and out of our life. We're not just talking about some dude in a bathrobe in the Bible times. We're talking about God Himself saying, I, the very living Word, the One who spoke and the cosmos happened, I make myself available to you. The Holy One, the Sacred One, I speak to you. And I give you me. 
When we think about what we have in Jesus, that every one of God's promises is yes in Him, that the word that we have in Jesus is a sacred one. It's a promised one. It is not something to be tainted with. It is not something to to try to defamate. It is not something to try to break. It is a sacred oath, a sacred word that God says, I have fulfilled my promises in Him and I give them to you. Think about that. That's what we have when we have Christ. God's sacred promise, sacred word given to us. But not only do we have God's sacred word, what does the scripture tell us we have when we have in Jesus, when we have Jesus? We don't only have His sacred word, we have His supplying word. We have His supplying word. It says that, therefore, through Him, we also say Amen to the glory of God. That we are in agreement that God, what you have done is good. We are in agreement that what you have done was Amazing. We're in agreement that what you have done was necessary. It was needed for us. That we needed these promises. And when we have Jesus, we not only have God's sacred word, we have God's supplying word. The one that supplied a substitute for us. That says, I not only fulfill my promises, but I also provide where you have need. I give you the substitute for Atonement. I give you the substitute for salvation to happen. And so Jesus is not only the sacred word that is the promise that comes from God, but He's the supplying word. God says this is the only one, the only way, the truth and the life. I give you that when you have Jesus. So do not doubt what I have promised you. Though others may fail you, though others that you may lift up may may break your heart at times. Though what others may do to other people may break your heart at times. What God does is sacred. A sacred promise given to you and a supplying promise given to you. And not only a sacred and a supplying, but a saving word. Jesus is that saving word that is because of Him, the yes that we have in Him, that says, yes, you can be saved. That is possible for you and only possible by Him. That Jesus is not only our sacred Word, the promise from God and the supplying Word, the One that that came and was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us so that He may go to the cross for us, but He's also the saving Word. That it's, it's confessing the name of Jesus through belief in our hearts and confession of our lips that provides salvation. And God assures us that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen to His glory and His work alone. That was nothing we could do. But when we speak Jesus' name and ask Him to save our soul and forgive us of our sins, we have that sacred, supplying, saving promise that He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what we have when we have all the promises of God are yes in Him. That we have the saving word. We have the spoken word. That what we have been given 
to us is a message that was not kept away from us. What do I mean by that? It is necessary for us to hear the Word of Christ if we are going to have God's sacred, supplying, saving Word. It is a spoken Word that is needed. None of us would have known about Jesus unless we had heard someone telling us about the name of Jesus. Do we get that? That's like a, it's like a requirement. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It must be proclaimed. None of us were saved by proxy. We get that, right? We're not saved because we saw someone doing good works and we just said, okay, I want to be like them. We had to hear why they did what they did and if, and only if that was done by being a follower of Christ. You don't get saved by following a philanthropist. You get saved by following Jesus. And you had to hear it. None of us came to know Christ because we went to a church and there were a bunch of mimes. Just doing good things, acting out. We would be confused. What is all this about? We need someone to speak it to us. So here is the crossover to that. The message of Christ is a spoken word. And when we hear it, we can trust in the promises and thank God for His grace that sends people to us so that we may hear. But we must take to heart that if it's a spoken word, and that's the only way we can be saved by first having heard it and then responding, then we need to take heart. The only way others are going to get saved around us that need Jesus is by hearing the message that was once spoken to us. We must speak to them. It's it's a necessity to speak it. So that they too can have all the promises of God as yes in Him. It's not only a spoken word. A spoken word that came to us. A spoken word that chose to, for us to, to hear from Him from the beginning of time and has given us His word so we may continue to know Him. But it is also, a, Jesus is also the securing word. That in Him we have an assurance. Look what He says. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ. In Christ this has happened. And who has anointed us. And He has put His seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a, down, as a down payment. In other words, what Jesus does is an already and not yet security. It's an already and not yet security. In other words, that what Jesus does when we trust Him is He provides that deposit that says, I have made you positionally righteous in my eyes. I have secured a place for you in heaven. I have adopted you into my name. And I have imputed upon you eternal life. Already. But yet you've got a mission to do. So it's also not yet. It's already and not yet. It is there and it will never depart. But it is also waiting for that day till all those promises are completely fulfilled. I know the day that me and Melinda, we, we, uh, 
began looking around for houses, and some of them were quite interesting. Let me just, it was very interesting to, to kind of walk, you know, look at these, these homes, and we were thinking about what our means were, what we could do. But I remember that moment that, that, uh, we were able to put that earnest deposit down, and they gave us the call, yes, we'll take that, and we'll take that offer. And it was like, okay. And then we went through the whole process, but that, that down payment until that process was done was saying, this home is already yours, but not yet. When the full process comes and you get to move in, then it's yours. But what God has told us is that with Jesus, we have a securing word that can never be removed. A security that seals us as His. That anoints us towards His work. That that places His Spirit in our hearts and never leaves us. It's secure and set. Can you imagine how good that is? We should do more than imagine. We should know as children of God, as people who are followers of Jesus, who the Holy Spirit indwells, we should not be able to just imagine this. We should know it. We should be enthralled by it. We should be amazed by it. This should lead us to an act of worship. I've used this illustration before. But I heard a pastor talking about this. I may have read, maybe I read it. I'm not really sure exactly where I, I came by this, this, this imagery. But the, the way the narrative goes says, what do you look forward to when you go to heaven? Who do you look forward to talking to? Some of us would say family, loved ones that have gone away. Of course, we want to see Jesus. That's like a big deal. But we might have like heroes of the Bible. Old Testament heroes. You know, David, what was it like? How, how much that walk, rock actually weigh? Was it like, you know, it wasn't the pebble thing that, you know, like the little children's stories, right? It was like a softball size, right? Probably, you know. We think about it, we want to ask questions like that or, or Moses. I mean, what was it like? I mean, I saw the movie, of course, and, but, you know, I know nobody can beat the Ten Commandments with Charles and Esther, but it had to be cooler than that, right? We might want to ask those questions. To which the, the, the preacher telling the story says, can you imagine what their question to us might be? Especially these Old Testament saints. What was it like walking around with a living God living inside of you? What was that like for you? I wonder what our story will be. I wonder what our narrative will be at recounting what God has done as He lived through us and and demonstrated His glory and His grace through us. Because He has secured Himself in our hearts. That's how that deposit is made. It's not just a few words. It's the living Word living within. That in Jesus, we not only have a sacred and supplying and saving and spoken and securing word. We also have a sanctifying word. You may say, preacher, these sound really, really good. But my life doesn't match that. Uh, I've been distant. Uh, how could God really be pleased with my life? How could God really do what He desires to be done now that I see the life I've lived? Well, gratefully, what we have in Jesus is both a sanctifying Word and a sustaining Word. A sanctifying Word that shapes us and molds us as we continue 
not only knowing that He, the living Word, lives within us, but He has presented us His Word to know Him. It begins to shape us if we trust Him and become obedient to what He has provided. He gives us the ability to sanctify all, to have our lives sanctified by Him. I was about to say to sanctify our lives. We can do nothing to sanctify our own lives, by the way. We can live set apart. We can choose to abstain. We can do all things that we want to. But all of our righteousness is like self, just filthy rags in the eyes of God. But what He does to us is truly sanctify us, leading us and shaping us. But there's also this good news. That not only is Jesus that sanctifying Word that can shape us, but Jesus is the sustaining Word that keeps us. He's that securing Word that's made the promise that you are already and not yet, but He's the sustaining Word that says, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. That there is nothing created that has ever been or ever will be that will separate you from the love that is found in Christ Jesus. That when we have trusted Him and committed ourselves to Him, He sustains us. And this is good news. And I know that there are some that do not believe in eternal security. To which I would only pose this question not out of spite, but out of concern. Did you do anything to save yourself? Did you do anything possible that you could do in your own means to save yourself? And the answer is a blatant no. There's no way we did not have grace within us. There was no salvation in us. Jesus does the work of salvation in us. So why would we think that something in us to keep it? If He's the one that gave it in the first place, and when God does something, it's God-sized. Why would I think it's my effect that causes it to be lost? It's a sustaining word. But make no mistake, that not only is Jesus all these, Jesus is also the sending word. His commands before ascending into heaven was for His disciples to go into all the nations and to make disciples, to teach them all, to observe all that He has commanded us, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to remember that He is with us in all the places we will go. Make no mistake, Jesus is a sending Word. He's a commissioning Word to all of His people so that we may declare the excellencies of His grace. That, wow, it is only by God's unmerited favor that I, that I can even stand here and declare His Word. It's through His Gospel. It's only because of what He did on the cross that a holy God would see the offense of sin and choose to be a substitute for mankind and offer before me the gift of salvation as a personal response that I would have to make. But it was His grace at work. And in trusting in Him, He gives me eternity and transforms life. It is only for His glory that I am to to be here, not making much of Jerome Taylor, but for the name of Jesus, because He is that sacred Word, that supplying Word, that saving Word, that spoken Word, that securing Word, that sanctifying and sustaining Word. He is that sending Word. 
And he's not only done it just for the person that stands in the pulpit, but for everyone who has uttered the word of the name of Jesus. May we realize that all of God's promises are yes in him. And may we also say, amen, which means let it be so. That is my word. I am in agreement with your word, God. Do your work in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I just ask that as we come to the close of this worship gathering, and as we've spent time looking at your word and seeing all the awesome promises that are yes in you, may we never ever take for granted who we're talking to. And may we never take for granted this moment of response. Do what only you can do, God. But stir our hearts to trust and follow after you. To yield to your word. For you are God and you are good. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.